You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Eric Barton. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. What if I was to stand up here and said, love one another? You know, Jesus taught to love one another, so what matters is that you love one another. What do you think the sermon would be about? Love, that we love one another? You know, I want you to take that example and that thought and just kind of hold it over here for a little bit. If, if we're to love one another, the, the, the obvious question ought to be, what is love? So, so what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word love? Come on, you're not zombies. Love is, love is acceptance, self-sacrifice. I didn't hear that. Unconditional. Wow, you guys are churchy. Um, you know, I, I would have thought, you know, love is blind. You know, some of the older generation would say love is a mini-splendored thing, right? Love is never having to say you're sorry. Bible church, somebody ought to be flipping to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just kind of rattling off a whole long list, right? But those are kind of descriptions, um, sayings, characteristics of love. It's really, really difficult to define what is love. Um, the rock band Queen, they sang about a crazy little thing called love. Freddie Mercury just couldn't handle it. <laughs> somebody knows that song. Tina Turner, she struggled with this whole concept of love. She pondered, what's love got to do, got to do with it? And she went on to say that love is nothing more than a secondhand emotion. But you see, writers, philosophers, they, they've all struggled with defining love through the ages. Plato said this. He said, love is a mental illness. He also went on to say that the madness of love is the greatest of heaven's blessings. Aristotle said this. He said that um, love is composed of a single soul inhabiting two bodies. He went on to say that love is the cause of unity in all things. But, but even young and brilliant minds have, have, have struggled with this, this concept of love. From kids say the darndest thing, this is what we get from the young, young ones. Love is that first feeling you feel before all the bad stuff gets in the way. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. <laughs> love is what makes you smile when you're tired. I like, I like the next one here. It says, one kid said that if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend that you don't like to play with. And then the last one, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and doesn't think it's gross. <laughs> Even, even that great philosopher, Charlie Brown, had something to say about love. And here you see a little cartoon clip of Peppermint Patty and Charlie Brown sitting underneath a shade tree in that famous Peanuts philosophical pose. And Peppermint Patty says, what is love, Chuck? And Charlie Brown responds, a man called Jesus. That's cute, and I think it's, it's sweet. But I'm not convinced that it's theologically accurate. So put that over there. We're going to have a whole list of things over here that we'll, we'll hopefully come back to. 
You know, over the past few weeks, Bethel has been in a Bible sermon entitled The, uh, the Attributes of God. Ricky kicked it off for our campus, preaching on the wisdom of God. God is wise. Eric followed with the holiness of God. God is holy, holy, holy. Mark preached on the faithfulness of God. Our God is faithful. He's trustworthy. Ross then preached on the sovereignty of God. Our God is sovereign. Last week, Greg preached on the eternality of God. God is eternal. And, and this is not an exhaustive list. We'll never exhaust a list. We, we worship an infinite, infinite God. And, uh, you know, we often quote A.W. Tozer in here, and he said this. He said, you know, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think that's a very powerful thought. It's a very telling thought. But I also like what C.S. Lewis had to say, what he said on this matter. He said this, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance except, except insofar as it is related to how he thinks of us. You know, it doesn't matter what A.W. Tozer said or what C.S. Lewis said or what I'm going to say. What, what matters is what God says. And that's why we turn to God's word, study God's word, teach from God's word, because this is our lens through which we come to know God. And the Bible has a lot to say about love. In fact, it's a collection of 66 books that tells the best love story ever written. And it makes a very, very profound statement in here about God and about love. And it says this, God is love. Three little words, averaging just three letters each. Yeah, these are giant words giant words that give us our big idea for the day, and that's this. Love is the essence of God. Now, we're certainly going to unpack the meaning of love as we go through the sermon, but, but what's meant by essence? Think of it as um, the very nature of God, uh, and I use the essence instead of an essence, and that might be a bit over the top. I don't know. I'll let you uh, do your Bible study, but it says that love is the essence, the, the very nature of of God. Now look, normally in what we do at Bethel is we take a book of the Bible, we go through it verse by verse, uh, unpacking the context uh, within its, its proper meaning, and we'll be back to that format at the end of the summer. Uh, this summer we're wa walking through the attributes of God, doing things a little bit differently, so I want to ask you to do something different today too. So here's what I want you to do. Two things. Do one of two things. Two things only. Number one, you can listen to me and the sermon that's been prepared on the essence of God, or number two, you can just sit there, and I want you to think about those attributes that we've already covered. So if you want to do that, or if I'm talking, your mind starts to drift, and you start drifting away. Look, I've I taught teenagers. I've raised teenagers. I'm used to it. You won't offend me whatsoever. You can just think about those attributes of God. And so my, my desire, my prayers I prepared uh, for today is that you do this. You think more regularly about God. You think more rightly about God. You think more often about God. And whether you do that through listening to, to, to the sermon or you do it through self-meditation, I am completely ambivalent. Just use this time to think about God. So look, let's pray, and then we'll get into the message today. Heavenly Father, I just, uh, golly, Lord, I just ask, I just ask that you quiet my thoughts, Lord, that uh, you open the hearts of your children to hear this very, Simple, very easy, yet at the same time, Lord, it's a, it's a very difficult command 
to love one another. Lord, just uh, open our hearts to that message. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here I'm going I'm to tee up the sermon for us today. Turn to your Bibles to 1 John, the epistle of John, the first epistle of John. We're going to go to chapter 4. Chapter 4, 1 John, verses 7 through 12. Six, six verses we're going to go through today. Now, I just want to tell you, I'm going to be using the New King James Version. We don't do that often in this church. We normally use the ESV, but uh, this was uh, the, the, the translation I was taught this passage on, uh, the, the, the epistle on, and so it, you can see my Bible, it's all inked up. And so if I stammer in my words, it's because I've got ink all over the words, and so um, you'll just have to uh, show me some forgiveness with that. So let me read the text, and we'll, we'll set up the context of it and then unpack the passage. In verse 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. So let me just set up the contextual framework for, uh, for today. This letter... Um, Hey, wow, echo. <laughs> um, John is writing to believers. Uh, very likely, he's writing to the churches in the Asian province of the Roman Empire, so what we would call modern-day uh, Turkey. So if John is writing to believers, this epistle probably has very little to do with getting to heaven. Um, John did that when he wrote his gospel. You know, we spent, as a church, we spent eight months walking through the gospel of John, and every time we preached a sermon on the gospel of John, it started with a purpose statement for the gospel of John, and that is, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. That was the purpose of the gospel of John. Last week, I think Greg asked for some rabbit trails, asked for grace for a rabbit trail. I, I just need one rabbit trail today, if you don't mind. So if you don't mind, grant me that, that grace, because I want to spend some time talking about the Gospel of John, because I think it understands the context of the first epistle of John. You see, here's, here's what, what's interesting about, about John's Gospel. He takes chapters 1 through 12, and, and he, he's writing about believing. He's writing about a faith that leads to a positional truth. By his grace, through faith, you're declared righteous by God, right? The, 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 uh, it's an eternal position with God. It is uh, your ticket to heaven. You know, in the, in the Baptist vernacular, you say, I got saved, right? Chapters 1 through 12. Chapter 13, we see a, a, a noticeable shift in, in John's message. He goes from this positional truth, your eternal position with Christ, to a conditional truth. He, he talks about fellowship with God, intimacy, close intimacy with God. If you were to look at, uh, go to chapter 15, verse 11, uh, they're in the upper room and Jesus is speaking. Uh, these words are recorded. Chapter 15, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus saying this, these things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I think I want to know what these things are. <laughs> I want to know what can bring me full joy. And Jesus had spoken to the 11. Judas had left the room. He's speaking only to the believers, the 11 remaining believers. He's given them a very intimate message, and I want to know what these things are. You know, um, there's a group of men that meet uh, on Tuesday mornings here at the Foundry at 6.30 uh, for Bible study, and we've been in Deuteronomy, I think, since Moses wrote it thousands of years ago. Um, but we, we've had a, a discussion over the past couple of weeks about worshiping in the tabernacle. And um, I've, I've, I've done some reading in the past, and, and a, a seminary professor wrote a book, and, and he described the Gospel of John, he kind of outlined it this way, and it might help you to remember an outline for the Gospel of John. It, it certainly helps me, and again, I think this ties into what we'll get to in today's sermon. John 1 through 12, he's talking about the Gospel, was evangelism outside the tabernacle, drawing the unbeliever to faith. Drawing the unbeliever to faith, that is, to enter the tabernacle. John 13 through 20 was inside the tabernacle, initially in the court, but to be invited to be drawn closer into intimacy with God, into the holy place, which we read 1331 through 16, what we call the upper room discourse. Chapter 17, okay, remember, Judas isn't part of that, right? He, he leaves in, in 1330. Chapter 17 through 20 moves from the holy place into the most holy place with a high priestly prayer in chapter 17, then moving into the holy of holies for the blood sacrifice to be sprinkled on the mercy seat. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then 20 is Jesus leading his own from the tabernacle into the world to go and to make disciples. So let's go back to 1 John. Just a little bit of context here. What's the purpose statement of 1 John? Well, we can go to 1 John 1, and we'll read that in verses 3 and 4. The purpose statement of this letter is this, that which we have seen and heard we declare to you, those we's, I think, are, are the apostles. He's speaking with apostolic uh, authority. That you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He's using the transitive property uh, for fellowship, this idea of oneness, and I hope that that comes, um, comes out during today's message. And then he says this in verse 4. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. It's like you heard Jesus say in chapter 15, verse 11. These things that your joy may be full. So I think we probably ought to take some time and, and, and see what these things are. So let's start with uh, verse 7, chapter 4, and we're going to unpack God's word. John starts off beloved. Okay, what we've, we've noticed in these, these um, six verses, John has used a form of agapao, uh, 15 times, it's two and a half times per relatively short verse. We, we talk a lot about agape love. And he starts off with agape toy, which is divinely loved ones. And then, then what's so cool about this is, is right after he, he, he does that, he uses what's called a present subjunctive uh, in his exhortation or in his command. He says, let us love one another. So what's a present subjunctive? Well, it, it's, it's a verb tense that, it's, that it basically speaks to a continual action. We are to continually love one another, or we're to habitually love one another. C.S. Lewis, um, he got this habit component right when he, he talked uh, about love. He said this, 
Love, as distinct from being in love, is not merely a feeling. It's a deep unity maintained by the will and deliberately strengthened by habit. Speaking of habits, uh, uh, Sidney Harris wrote an article, and, and he, he brought to light the, the fact that it's commonplace how easily a child of three or four picks up a foreign language, and they do that without any formal training. You know, Jesus, Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Young children are dependent on their parents. Young children, um, uninhibited, they have this ability to learn good habits. And, and look, I know that's little children, but us old folks, we can, we can learn good habits. I'm reminded of the story of little Susie. She was visiting her grandmother, and little Susie says to her grandmother, she goes, Grandma, I am so impressed with you today. And the grandmother says, well, well, well Susie, why is that? And little Susie said, well, Grandma, you know, you have finally learned the good habit of covering your mouth when you sneeze. The grandmother quit. Well, Susie, of course I do. That's the only way I can catch my teeth. Yeah. I, I joked earlier today that I have, in my old age, I've come into the bad habit of telling really bad jokes. And uh, I've got a sermon full of them. So uh, stay tuned. Here's another thing over here that you can you know, see if I, I fulfill or not as we move forward. So John says, uh, oh, let me, one, more, one more comment about the, the, the Greek structure on uh, love one another. There, there's this whole concept, there's this implication of reciprocity. It's not just you love her or, or you love him. It's love one another, love one another. Um, so kind of keep that in mind as, as we go forward. So John says, beloved, let us love one another. Why should we do that? I know it, it, we, we talked about, about full joy, but, but remember, we're created in the image of God, right? We are created in the image of God. The Bible tells us time and time that we are called to be imitators of God. So there's something unique about us. There's something unique about God's love. You know, Paul wrote in the, uh, to the church of e Ephesians. Um, it's in chapter 5, uh, uh, verse 1, he said this, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us. And, and, and John, just, he just adds some additional color to this, this why of why we're to love one another. And he says, for love is of God. Now, in our Western mind, we see the, the little preposition of, and we start thinking, well, possessed by. I mean, that's, that's typically what we, we think of, right? Blank of blank. It's, it's possessed by that blank, right? In the Greek, it can also take on the meaning of sourced in, and John uses that a lot in his writing. Agape love is sourced in God. God is the source. It doesn't come from you, right? You can yield to the Holy Spirit, and that love can come forth, and you should do that, but that love is sourced in God. And then John continues on, and he says this, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. A person born of God is a believer. So everyone who loves is born of God. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. this. This is not doing a test of whether you're a believer or not a believer. Trust me. A believer cannot love. A matter of fact, John tells us earlier that a believer can hate his brother. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if I did... Anybody here ever hate their brother? My hand would be up, all right? 
It's possible for a believer to hate his brother. Let's, let's make that very clear. But what he says is a person who loves is born of God. He is a Christian and he knows God. And I just want to take a little bit of time. I'm not going to go back to chapter 2 and, and how John defines this, this word know. Um, I'm not going to get into, into, into the, the Greek there, but it's a very important word. To know, when John says to know God, he is speaking of a very, very deep intimacy. Matter of fact, I want you to think of the Old Testament. If you went back to chapter 4, verse 1 of Genesis, it says this. And I know there's little children on the front row. Cover their ears, Mama. Um, it says that Adam knew his wife. Okay? He knew his wife. Do we know what the result of that was? Well, you can read right after that. And she conceived and bore a son. All right? So we're talking about that level of, of intimacy. But knowing God is better. Now, when I wrote that in my sermon notes, thinking about when Adam knew his wife and knowing God is better, I said, whoa, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. I've been married for 36 years. Uh, you know, I, I just love my wife. We've experienced great joy together. But it's true. Loving God is better. Now, I'll tell you what's super-duper awesome sauce is when I love God and my spouse loves God and we get together, man, that is that's magical. Yeah, that's what Song of Solomon's about, right? Um, it's biblical. Sorry, kids. Um, John is speaking about this intimacy with God, and the passageway to that full joy is through this thing called love. He clarifies his thought in verse 8. He says this, He who does not love does not know God. So, as I said, it's possible for a believer to hate. It's possible for a believer to abstain from loving. And so, you know, John makes it clear. Paul writes about it. Peter writes about it. Jesus says it. You know, we're never, it, it, love doesn't come automatically. We're not coerced to love. Um, and so he says that if he does not love, he does not know God. You're not intimate with God, for God is love. And right there it is, verse 8, God is love. I want you to notice that. God is love. Noun, verb, noun. This isn't noun, verb, adjective. It's noun, verb, noun. In the Greek, the Greek makes it very clear as noun, verb, noun, that it can't be read as love is God. Sorry, Charlie Brown. It, that it's not the same thing. God is not some abstract noun called love. Rather, the essence of God is love. God is love. Love is sourced in God. The essence of God is love. And that is what John is trying to get his readers to understand. That is a fundamental statement of who God is. You know, we, we, we say God is merciful. We say God is just. We say God is good, but we don't say God is mercy. We don't say God is justice. We don't say God is goodness, but we do say God is love. And so there's the mandate to love, verses 7 and 8. We're mandated to love one another. And then when we get to verse 9, we're going to see the manifestation of his love. In verse 10, we're going to get the meaning of his love. And I hope by looking at those two that we can define uh, perhaps what love is is. Knock, knock. You awake? Knock, knock. Olive. 
I love y'all. Yeah, bad joke. Told you. More to come. Stay tuned. Don't worry. But, but you know what? That, that's not a manifestation of God's love. That's not even the meaning of God's love. And John tells us, he tells us that we're not to love you know, with word or with tongue. We're to love with deed and truth. With deed and truth. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of um, over in James. So I was putting this together. Um, James chapter 2. Uh, James writes this. He says, if a, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of them says, Ah, oh, depart in peace, be warned, be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Deed and truth. All right, let's go back to, to, to verse 9 here and, and see if we can kind of pull a, a, a definition for us together here. He writes this. In this, the love of God was made manifested toward us, or among us. I don't know what your translation has there. <clears throat> that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we may have life through him. The manifestation of God's love is himself. It's Jesus Christ, God incarnate. And the ultimate meaning of love, which he gives us in verse 10, is demonstrated through the work of Christ, the work on the cross. And this is love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now remember, I, I told you at the very beginning to, to take something, put it over here in the corner, uh, you know, love one another, and we're going to come back to it. So we're going to come back to it right now. Turn to, back to the Gospel of John. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. It would help if I got there. Um, starting in verse 31. Judas leaves the room in verse 30, all right? So now here we are in 31. Jesus has the 11 believers. He wants to give them a very intimate message. He wants to talk to them about something very deep. And right up front, he tells us what that is. Go down to verse 34. He says this. A new commandment. No, stop. In our Western way of thinking, our consumer-oriented world, uh, a, a world where we like to do redos, uh, we like to change things up uh, quite often, we, we somehow, I think, miss the meaning of the word new, a new commandment. Think of it this way. This isn't new that way. Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to refresh your minds. I want you to keep fresh this commandment. I want you to refresh your mind to, a, to even a greater standard. And here's that commandment that I want you to keep new, to keep fresh, to keep refreshed. That you love, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And in verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Three times Jesus says love one another. What do you think Jesus wants to talk to these 11 about? He wants to love one another. Now, we know, that, we know that Peter and Philip and Thomas, they interrupt Jesus. You know, I, I, you know, I probably would. I'd be freaking out at this point in time, too. Um, but Jesus wants to talk to them about love. Turn back to uh, chapter 15 if you're there. Because Jesus eventually gets his message across. And there in 15... We see this on verse 13. He says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
I think what's really cool about that passage is that he now calls them friends. Yeah, in verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command. Well, what does he command? Go back to verse 12. He says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so now he calls them friends. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Um, I, as I was putting these, these notes together, uh, and I, and I read that, I was thinking of uh, that old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And um, I know that the theme of that hymn is about prayer, but there's a line in there that talks about, oh, what peace we often forfeit. And and I had come across a a biblical definition not long ago of what, what peace, biblical peace is, and it was this oneness with God. So I just think, wow, what a, what a tremendous thing to have been present with my Lord and say, hey, I call you friend. Anyway, let's go back to our text today, uh, and let's try to put together a, a definition of, of love. Come with me to uh, uh, verse 9 in chapter 4 of 1 John, and, and he says this, In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Your mind, at least my mind, goes to John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God's love is all giving. He gave his son to die so that we might live through him. Agape love is all giving. Look, look to verse 10. Just keep that in mind. Agape love is all giving. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Recall that the tabernacle example of thinking about the gospel of John, um, the, the high priest, uh, I like to call him the, the, the high king priest, he, he enters into the holy of holies. He lays down his life. He sprinkles his blood on the mercy seat. And the Greek uh, root to propitiation and mercy seat are the same, and it speaks to the appeasement, the satisfaction of that sacrifice. God is satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of all sin. Yeah, amen to that. Agape love is sacrificial, all right? All giving, sacrificial. And thirdly, I, I get from both of these, you'll see in verse 9, he sent his son Verse 10, he sent his son. Why did he send? He sent it for others. It is directed toward others. Agape love is directed for others. Christ died for who? Died for degenerated humans such as myself. You know what I would invite you to do this week? Maybe spend some time with family, um, quiet time uh, in your Bible study. Is uh, just, just try to think of a, a biblical definition that you can understand and can live with for what is love. Now, I've, I've jotted down three um, of these. These are, these are not mine. Um, the first one is, is this. Dr. Ken Wilson, he's a seminary professor. He said this, <clears throat> love is being valued for who you are, not how you perform. You were created in his image. 
Dr. Alan Torrance, he's another seminary professor, he wrote this. He said, love is the act of unconditionally ascribing worth to another at a cost to oneself. And uh, Pastor Gregory Boyd uh, took this from his book, Repenting of Religion. I, I really like this one. He says, love is ascribing unsurpassable worth to another as God has ascribed such worth to himself. Oh, think about Father, Son, Holy Spirit there. And to you. So agape love is all giving, it's sacrificial, and it's directed toward others. And, and, and folks, I'm going to tell you that I really struggle sometimes with, with love. Before we get to that point, let me just end um, the text here. We talked about the mandate to love. We talked about the manifestation of love. We talked about the meaning of love. Let's talk about the motivation to love. Let's read here in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John is, again, repeating what he, he started out with in verse 7. Again, I just want to bring to mind that the way this is, is written, this is a continual action. You are to love, to love, to love, to love. And then verse 12, he says this, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. God is revealed when we yield to the Holy Spirit and we love one another. You want others to see God? Love them. You're not a reservoir. Um, you're not a reservoir meant to hold love. You're, you're, you're a river. Love needs to be flowing through you and out of you. You know, a lake kind of just holds it in place and, and when it fills up, yeah, it spills over. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be living waters, flowing waters of, of love. So what does John mean here by abide? God abides in us. Um, yeah, the, the word abide, it, it comes from the word to dwell. And, and yes, as believers, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I get that. But John is speaking about something a little bit deeper here. When he's talking about abiding, he's talking about intimacy. He's talking about God being active in your life. It's different. You know, John writes us some very deep thoughts in this, this epistle, and, and I understand it's, it's sometimes very hard to understand and, and comprehend what he's writing, but, you know, I, I just see this apostle who was present with the Lord in that upper room, and I think the guy just gets super excited about what Jesus said, and he's trying to convey that. Yeah, and it's hard. I think love is, is very, very difficult. But, but there's, you know, Eric just talked about it in, in, in his, his talk here. There's something also about this reciprocating um, uh, attribute of love. There's something about community. I mean, God's love is just manifested when things are just working in union in love. And he says this, love has been perfected in us. Now the Greek there, let, let's make sure that we don't look at that as past tense. The, the, the Greek is really, it's a state of being perfected, being completed, being made mature, being brought to fruition. You know, I was studying in my time this week. I was reading through 1 Timothy. I don't know why I was drawn back to the letters to Timothy, but I was. And Paul, up, right up front, he makes this very profound statement to Timothy, and, and he speaks to faith is our foundation, love is our purpose. I mean, right there in the first few verses, faith is our foundation, love is our purpose. And we're called to love one another. God is love. You know, if you look down to verse 16, um, it says, God is love. This is the back part of verse 16. It says, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, 
and God in him. So, so John is, is really kind of giving us the key to the men here, that God invites his own children to be drawn in to this oneness with a triune God. And the very essence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is love. And he invites us into that. And I just think that is one of the coolest things that, that uh, it's cool, but it's also hard to grab my head around. So let me, let me just do this. Let me close with something. I'm, I'm going to close by going backwards a little bit, and then I want to uh, get back to the football and, and leave you guys with some implications. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 3. Go to um, verse 23, and we're going to look at, a, I guess, a little bit of, of 24. John writes this, And this is his commandment. Who's his? His is Jesus. And this is Jesus' commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son and love one another as he gave commandment. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, he who believes and he who loves. So, let's talk a little bit about the football. Here's the analogy. I want you to think Super Bowl. Think Super Bowl. It is now June 9th. Think Super Bowl 2020. Man, just think about all the anticipation that, you know, the week, couple weeks before that, that lead up to that big game, right? It's Sunday afternoon. You've got your nachos on the coffee table. You've got your ice-cold beverage on the coaster next to it so you don't stain the table and get in trouble. I don't know who would ever do that. Coin's been tossed. Teams have lined up. The game is about to begin, and man, it is so cool. It is the Super Bowl. And so the camera zooms in on the football that's teed on the 35-yard line, and the kicker's foot is coming to hit the ball. And as soon as that foot, that moment in time when that foot hits the ball, the camera freezes. Now, the Super Bowl's begun. Just, just like the life of the new believer. He comes to faith in Christ. Boom. Forever his position is secure in Christ. He's, going to he- he's got his ticket to heaven. The game has started. Now, and, and so if you're here today and you haven't done that, man, I would love, I'd love to spend five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes talking to you about Jesus and what it's like to kick off the game. Most of you have done that. The game's begun, but... but but it's more than just that kick. Look, that kickoff is great. Coming to G- That's the biggest decision you're ever, ever going to make. And it's good. It is very, very good news. But there's 60 minutes of game time. There's replays. There's commercials. There's a halftime show. There's, there's after-game commentary. There is a whole bunch of stuff to life after the kickoff. And so I, I invite you to get in the game to love one another. Um, and look, I don't want to come across as pious. I, I, I really don't. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be transparent with you, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to confess right up front. I find it difficult to love. I really do. I, I look out at you guys, and I don't want to love you. I'm just kidding. I, you know. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. God's grace, thank goodness for that. Right? I can't out-sin it. Um, but look, I, I do truly find it hard to agape love, to, to, to be all-giving, to, to, to give sacrificially, to, to be other-centric. You know what I, I do? I lust, right? I want to get. I don't want to give. I want to get. You know, that's my sin nature. Uh, it, it's there. I want to get. I don't want to do something sacrificially. I want to do nothing. I want to be me-centric. Like I said, there's grace. I'm learning. I'm praying. I'm trying to grow. But, but while I'm also being transparent, let me, let, me be, let me be frank. 
my wife and I had this, this conversation yesterday, um, and so I wanted to include this. Um, you know, intimacy with God is not about feeling close to God. I'm going to repeat that. Intimacy with God is not about feeling close to God. It's about being close to God. And, and yeah, there's, there's full joy. There, there's complete joy in, in being close to God. But I want you to think about the lives and the deaths of the apostles. Think about the life and death of Paul. He was very close to God. And I think if you and I would kind of you know, look at his life closely, there's probably some times when it didn't feel very good. You know, even Jesus, the son of, of God, said there's, there's no place for the son of man to lay his head. So it's not about feeling good. It's about being close to God. So let me just do quick, uh, three quick takeaways, and uh, we'll be... We'll be uh, will be done here. Look, if what, what, I, what I want to do with these takeaways or with these implications is, is just kind of, as you go through your week, be thoughtful of, of God. Be thoughtful of loving one another. If God is love, how do we love one another? And I think first and foremost, love God. You know, love God with all your heart, soul, strength. Love God. Jesus says, if you do what I command, you love me if you do what I command. Love God and do what he commands. And that's number two. Love who God loves. Love who God loves. Think, think you. Think next to you. Think around you. Yeah, yeah. think you. Don't, don't think selfishly. Think selflessly. God has ascribed unsurpassable worth. I don't care how bad you've been, how bad you are. God loves you unconditionally. I heard that word earlier. God loves you unconditionally, and you cannot out his grace. He loves you that much. So love yourself. Love others. And then thirdly, uh, I would say this. Love how God loves. Daily dying to self as Christ loves you. You know, I, I ended uh, uh, the first sermon that this way, and um, this thought for some reason has just been, been weighing on my mind uh, as I've prepared these notes um, and thinking about intimacy with God and fellowship with God and um, my mind would go to Luke 22 and you know I should have looked it up during between services but I didn't I think it's around verse 40 Uh, you guys can check it out Luke 22 around verse 40 it's the night Jesus was betrayed he's praying in the garden and he is sweating blood Luke records Luke the physician records that he's sweating blood and I know we've got some doctors in the room uh, and it's, a, uh, it's a, a condition called hematidrosis. hematidrosis. And um, they can explain to the, the, the physics of it and how it works. But basically, it's a medical condition that, that comes on when you're under severe anguish. If you remember that night, yeah, Jesus was under severe anguish. You know, Greg preached on the eternality of God. And here was Jesus praying right before his crucifixion, before he was going to take on the sin of the world. In all of eternity, for this bitty period of time, he was going to be separated from God. He was going to be out of, he, his position, he is always the second person of the triune God, but he was going to be out of fellowship with God for this period of time. And it caused him to sweat blood. Deep, deep anguish. And I just reflect on my life and say, man, I'm out of fellowship a lot. I would have bled out years ago, right? But there is joy in that union, that fellowship, that oneness with God, and man, that is what I look to. I look to Christ for that to be fulfilled. So, look, brothers, that's my message. God is love. 
He wants you to be drawn into that. And he asks you to love one another. So look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. So I can ask you to bow your heads. And what I'm going to do is, as you're bowing your heads and, uh, in prayer, I want to read. I'm going back to the upper room. As Jesus prayed over his disciples in, in chapter 17, uh, I'm going to read that prayer because uh, around verse 20, he expands that from the disciples and, and he opens that up. Um, and so I'm going to read that uh, in our prayer, reflect that back to him as I read it. Heavenly Father, Jesus prays these words. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me and that the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, you and me, that they may be made perfect, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Heavenly Father, Lord God, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have loved us so much that you sent your son. Lord, may we uh, truly be image bearers of your love. Uh, Lord, teach us to be all giving, sacrificial, and uh, be other-centric. Lord, we just thank you again for uh, how much you love us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, look, folks, you've been great. Um, I want to ask you to stand. Got one quick announcement, and then we'll uh, benedict and be out of here. Announcement. <clears throat> if you need prayer, if you want prayer, if you desire prayer, I encourage you. We've got somebody here that is willing to pray for you. I don't know if you know Jim or not, but he is a true prayer warrior. That... There's a love language here when folks get together and pray, so I'm going to encourage you to do that. Jim is here after the service. So here's how I'd like to benedict. I'm going to, I'm going to make one up. Uh, I'm going to go to, yeah, don't tell them what you're going to get here. Um, I'm going to go to, to 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Abide in his love. You're dismissed. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.